So before we get started, we had some listeners reach out requesting we do episodes around pitching in the era of COVID-19. Well, we couldn't agree more, as we're also working on the front line trying to navigate all these ever-changing challenges and the feelings that come with it. So hopefully this small series of episodes help guide and provide some form of inspiration to you in your work. This week, we're focusing on the personal finance industry. With the current state of our economy and the uncertainty that's come with it, it's safe to say that personal finance media is quite overwhelmed, and our two guests that we have today know this firsthand. First, we have Lisa Rowan, reporter for Two Cents, the money vertical for Lifehacker. Say hi, Lisa. Hi, guys. How's it going? Good. We're glad to have you. Thank you. And we have Frankie Rendon, head of media relations for Student Loan Hero, a lending tree company. Say hi, Frankie. Hola, hola. Happy to be here, guys. We're happy to have you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy week to help our listeners make sense of it all. So let's get started. Britt, do you want to start with some of the questions? Sure. Let's start with you, Frankie. So what is the single most hardest thing about working during COVID-19 in your opinion? Yeah. So, um, you know, b- before I touch on how my you know day-to-day work has been impacted, I, I did want to take a just quick moment to, you know, acknowledge the millions of moms and, and dads all over the world who are, uh, you know, trying to keep up with workloads, uh, you know, meet deadlines, uh, you know, juggle conference calls, you know, while having the you know, your kids at home who demand uh, around the clock attention. Um, I am one of them. So it's, it's a, and, you know, if I'm being completely honest, it's, you know, some days are overwhelming, but yeah, you know, shout out to parents giving it their all, uh, you know, right now. So as far as my, my day-to-day is concerned, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's changed considerably in terms of the, you know, the types of projects that I'm working on at the moment. I, you know, I sync up daily with our department mates who, kind of spearhead, you know, PR efforts for the other lending tree brands. And probably I'd say almost every single one of them would agree that, you know, nowadays you'd be, uh, you know, really hard pressed to find, uh, you know, a reporter, uh, producer, or, or even a TV or radio contact who isn't solely working on, you know, stories specific to the coronavirus. And it really just depends on, you know, on the contact, um, you know, but there's still, uh, I guess a degree of flexibility there that we found. Um, you know, some are open to accepting story ideas that are at least uh, tangentially, you know, related to the pandemic. But the, you know, our company as a whole has kind of had to pause, you know, certain PR and SEO initiatives in response to this editorial, I guess, shift that we're seeing. Like for me, you know, in the beginning of March, as a as a large number of COVID cases started trickling into the U.S. and, uh, you know, we're gaining more media coverage. I was pitching a report around uh, college students overborrowing to help fund, you know, their spring breaks. And, you know, the responses that I kept receiving from a number of mainstream reporters were that they had received, you know, explicit instructions from their teams to only review uh, coronavirus pitches. Um, so it seems like, uh, you know, that's all that reporters want to talk about. Uh, you know, if, if it isn't about the coronavirus, um, you're, you're it, it, it certainly feels like you're batting zero, you know, right now. And then also, like I, I spearhead Student Loan Heroes College and University outreach efforts, mainly around our bi-yearly scholarship program and, you know, resources aimed to help college students borrow smarter. And I've also noticed this, a, a decline in email responses from, you know, financial aid and financial literacy departments 
but also from student reporters who, you know, work for these uh, like student run, call them online newspapers um, at schools around the country. But that also, you know, it was kind of expected given that their entire world has been basically thrown into disarray. But I say, yeah, that, that's probably the hardest part of working through these times. That definitely sounds really challenging. And for me, what's really interesting there is just how you actually had responses from journalists and reporters who had explicit directives, you said, to strictly focus on COVID-19 stories. And I think that's a really nice transition to hand the question over to Lisa. Lisa, are you strictly focused on COVID-19 stories right now? And also beyond that, just going back to the first question, and making sure we don't overlook that. What's the most challenging thing for you during these times? Yeah, you know, part of the challenge has been the shift of having to just be on my toes for a while. Um, So for instance, um, in the first couple of weeks of the pandemic spreading throughout the U.S., um, well, first, even before that, when it was happening internationally, I was like, I'm not a health reporter. This doesn't really apply to me. And then as soon as it was starting to hit the U.S., I was like, oh, now I'm a health reporter and uh, <laughs> a money reporter and an everything reporter. And so this is it, immediately I saw how this was going to affect my own beat. And so I had to shift from my typical proactive stance, which is usually looking at what's being said in the personal finance world and finding ways to give people you know, tangible tips since I'm in the service journalism realm. Um, And now it's, you know, it was really reactive for the first couple of weeks in the U.S. when we were waiting for legislation, when we were waiting to find out what was going to happen with relief checks. And people were, you know, asking me questions. Readers were asking me questions faster than I could even contemplate imagining when we were going to get answers. I had a couple late nights where I was sitting up watching C-SPAN to see what Congress was going to do. Um, And so for the first couple of weeks, it was definitely just like a lot of wait and see what happens and see what information I can provide. Now that we're past the first, you know, bit of it, I'm starting to look past coronavirus, not in the sense that I'm ignoring it or pretending it's not happening because it's still very much on the top of our minds. But I think a lot of readers at Lifehacker and beyond are feeling a little bit of coronavirus fatigue. So I'm starting to find ways to write about, you know, quote unquote, the new normal, starting to think about ways that I can touch on coronavirus related topics without focusing on it as the primary, um, the primary reason for writing an article. That's a very long witted way of saying that you know, at first it was all coronavirus all the time. I was slammed morning, noon, and night. And now that we've grown accustomed to what it means for the economy um, and us as individuals, um, I'm starting to sort of float back and forth between that reactive and that proactive stance to figure out where I can provide the most value. That That's really interesting as well. Um, and actually, that's a really this is a really good time to go on to the second question. We were curious, are there any unique approaches you've seen in your inbox that have been extremely helpful to your coverage at this time? Or on the flip side, is there an example of what not to do? Because from what you've both said, there's this, you know, fine balance between pitching stories that are relevant, but also you don't want to, you know, be tone deaf and just try to squeeze your clients or brand or product or whatever into this, I don't know, coronavirus news cycle. Can you speak to any approaches, I guess, is what I'm trying to say around what you've seen in your inbox that have been helpful um, or what haven't? Yeah, I'll definitely speak to um, what what not to do before I talk about some of the more positive um, 
attempts that I've seen um, because those are definitely appreciated. But for for what not to do, um, let's see. I don't need to know about a disinfecting chamber that you've invented um, or anything relating to small businesses when I only cover primarily um, finance for individuals. I don't need to know um, about a big sale that you're having or a cash back offer. (laughs) Um, And please, um, for the love of all in my inbox that is holy or unholy, if you email me about a press release at 1230 in the afternoon, please do not follow up at five o'clock in the afternoon because sometimes it takes me a week to get two pitches in my inbox. That being said, there are so many really thoughtful professionals out there that I've heard from, some of them being new and some of them being, you know, people I've communicated with before. And in terms of that relationship building, that can really go a long way right now. I've had people I've worked with before contact me and say, hey, if you're covering all coronavirus all the time, or if you're not taking pitches about it at all, please let me know and I'll adjust accordingly because I don't want to send you things that aren't relevant. And that, I mean, those people who are thoughtful enough to send you that message and to think ahead are never the people that you have a problem with, right? Like those are the people who um, probably worked in journalism before and, you know, know how to be conscientious of someone else's time and inbox. You know, but I also had someone who reached out to me and said, hey, just wanted to see if you uh, needed anything right now, if I can help you with any coverage, but didn't remind me what company they were with, who they represented, um, or, um, I also looked back in my inbox and figured out that they had never emailed me before, so I was totally confused. Um, so there's definitely an art to, you know, building and maintaining those relationships that I really appreciate. I've also had some people reach out to me, uh, you know, knowing the stuff that I typically cover, and they've just sent me comments about things that have come up in the news and said, you know, just like sent me an email of their thoughts and said, feel free to use any of this if it's helpful to you, which is great because I spend so much time looking for insights from experts that if they've come to me because they just want to share what they've, you know, learned or what their reaction is to something that happens, uh, it's, it's way easier for me to get things done faster. I don't expect people to do that, but it's nice when that happens, right? Frankie, what has been your approach to pitching COVID-19 stories to the media? Yeah, so, you know, before the the World Health Organization even deemed COVID-19 a pandemic around, I believe it was like mid-March or so, uh, you know, and as unemployment claims continued to rise at an alarming rate, it was, it was very clear to our team that, you know, the country was, we were entering some pretty dark and uncertain financial times, you know, the likes of which America has has never seen. And this was especially true for the 40 million-ish plus Americans who are saddled some serious student loan debt portfolios. So prior to the pandemic, borrowers were already kind of struggling with repayment and and the coronavirus really dealt a, a devastating financial blow to millions of Americans. And, you know, early on, you know, Student Loan Hero knew that we kind of wanted to shift production to create resources, uh, you know, aim to help borrowers navigate student loan repayment during these unprecedented times, you know, while while those went through the various stages of production, I, on my end, I would pitch personal finance reporters, uh, as well as radio and, and local TV news stations. Um, and I even targeted, you know, folks in the podcast space, which is, it, it, it's a little, 
out of the ordinary for me, um, you know, just because historically those efforts haven't, uh, if I'm being completely honest, they haven't uh, proved as fruitful, you know, as other mediums. And my goal really was in this first round of COVID pitching was, you know, just to see how, you know, if at all, um, our team of experts, shout out to Andrew Pentis and Rebecca Sapphire, if you're listening, uh, you know, could play a uh, supporting role in any coronavirus, you know, specific stories in their pipelines. And, you know, I, I, I do, I guess it's important to note that these pitches, they differed slightly from my day-to-day emails and that I try to be less formulaic. You know, over the years, reporters have communicated um, and even reporter friends have communicated to me that while they appreciate when PRs, uh, you know, show familiarity with their work, uh, you know, because they are inundated with hundreds and hundreds of emails a day, uh, they mostly prefer, you know, short and succinct pitches. Um, So, you know, I I don't know, it might have been a result of the the feelings of impending doom that I was kind of experiencing during the first few weeks of this pandemic. But these these pitches were a little uh, a little more conversational in tone. You know, yes, they were still straightforward, but they weren't like the standard cut and dried emails that you typically receive from a PR. And then, you know, in the weeks that followed, Congress passed uh, a stimulus package, uh, you know, aka the CARES Act, which among other things um, suspended uh, mo- well, most federal student loan payments through the end of September, which is, it's some pretty freaking awesome, you know, much needed relief. It was big news. And I newsjacked the heck out of that legislation and ended up earning a few notable placements within days of the news breaking, you know, with reporters that I had never, um, I guess, officially collaborated with before. So that was pretty exciting. And then soon thereafter, you know, Student Loan Hero launched, we call it our Coronavirus Information Hub, uh, which is, you know, what I'm uh, pitching mostly nowadays. And the the page basically it serves as as in like online repository of sorts for the you know latest resources on how to deal with your loans during the pandemic. Our team publishes COVID specific resources uh, multiple times a week, and so the hub is updated regularly um, and even features a uh, schnazzy little interactive that doles out financial advice. The hub, you know, in its entirety, really is a thing of beauty. Um, you know, our experts, our, our editors, and oh, and our and our researchers really put a lot of time and effort into it. And, and it's proved helpful for a handful of reporters now. Um, and then lastly, we published a report that highlights the disproportionate financial impact of COVID-19 on college uh, students of color, well, full-time college students of color, specifically Black and Latinx communities. So over the past, uh, like I said, over the past two weeks, I've been working with a number of uh, Spanish language media, which is always exciting for me because, you know, as a member of the Latinx community, uh, I feel, you know, that there's not enough media attention around the coronavirus and how it's affecting, you know, these black and brown communities. So that's kind of how I've been tackling, you know, pitching during these times. Can I ask Frankie a follow-up question? Not to hijack this, but I'm curious. So Frankie, you mentioned that you were able to place with several reporters that you hadn't worked with before um, after the CARES Act was passed. And I'm wondering what, um, you know, like what was the hook? What um, how were you able to draw their attention? Um, and, and what was sort of the angle that you were working on? Because I feel like we were all like overwhelmed with CARES Act stuff when that legisl- legislation was signed. Um, 
but I'm curious as to how that worked out for you. Yeah, really, uh, it, it just, uh, the way I kind of approached it, there are a lot of students out there, a lot of you know folks that, that are reading these articles, and, and a lot of them really just, for one reason or another, there's just, because there's so much information coming out, you know, with the news, like you said, you, you were just, you, some days we just found ourselves just waiting and waiting to get, you know, minute information would change by the minute, sometimes by the hour. Really, it was just me. I wasn't very pushy, like, not that I'm pushy most of the time. I was more of just like checking in to say hello, how they were doing, you know, and and just offering uh, our, you know, external insight, any sort of expert commentary that to see if it was needed. It, it was less aggressive and just me kind of explaining to them like, hey, you know, there are a lot of student loan borrowers that really need to make sense because there was a lot of questions around, well, you know, am I going to be charged interest? Are there going to be any penalties? You know, we did a segment around, um, you know, whether uh, student loan borrowers, those that can't afford it, should continue paying, you know, on their student loan debt because they, they're not having to pay interest right now. It really just depended on, on the reporter and I was monitoring those who were on the student loan beat for the most part. But another interesting thing to note was that I didn't do very many follow-ups of the first round. So unless I had, you know, unless I had an existing relationship with that reporter, that was the only time for this first round that I would actually do, you know, follow-ups. Reason being is that as we were all trying to adjust to this new normal, I, I figured that the last thing most reporters would want, uh, you know, is another darn email. So that that may have come into play because I, I know it might have been Casey Bond that mentioned, um, you know, some people follow up. Once you get past that initial follow up, it's, it's kind of just too much. Um, so I made sure not to kind of bombard their inboxes there. So that, that may have played a, you know, a role in, in my success there. Thank you <laughs> from all of us. Thank you for not following up too often. I have a question for both of you, and it's related, I think, to just how your day-to-day has changed. Would you say that you are working more hours than usual and scattered hours as well, like not necessarily nine to five, like you're kind of sucked into the news at all hours now? I'll let Frankie, the parent, answer that first. Yeah, for me, I, I've been, like I said, I've been really lucky um, you know, to work with an, uh, a very patient and understanding director. And there are three of us currently um, that are parents on the team. So, you know, we, we and I'll be honest, we don't work traditional nine to five hours, um, probably since like the beginning of March. Um, so a, a lot of it is, is just trying to, uh, you know, maintain some, you know, semblance of uh, sanity. Uh, I, I, usually wake up like between 5 and 6 a.m. way before my daughter, you know, even wakes up and I work for, you know, three, four hours, um, you know, crank out as much work as I can. Um, She'll then wake up and, you know, she demands her breakfast, her her boiled eggs and plain white toast. You know, we'll play a little bit and and then I get back to work. Shout out to Disney Plus because they've been, uh, you know, these constant, these Frozen and Frozen 2 reruns have really have been <laughs> giving us life. Uh, just just allowed me to get past these work days. I know all the lyrics. I know all of Let It Go and Into the Unknown. Um, by the time, you know, we're just, I'm just trying to get work th- done throughout the day. During the evening hours when she goes to bed, I'm usually up until sometimes 1 a.m. Um, just making sure that everything's done, all my tasks were completed. Because um, even though I'm not working in the traditional nine to five, there's still, uh, there's still a, a set of, uh, of goals that I have for the week for myself. And yeah, that's really it. Just trying to keep my sanity over here. <laughs> one Disney movie at a time. <laughs> yes, one Disney movie at a time. Elisa, what about you? How is your How's your mental health? I definitely have an advantage because I'm not a parent. And for the most part, I live alone. And I've been a remote worker for 
a little over a year now. So I've had, you know, the same desk in the same corner of my house. My daily routine hasn't changed a whole lot. It's sort of um, what I'm dealing with within that routine that has changed, right? So I've always um, worked on a little bit of a fragmented schedule. I'm typically at my desk, um, you know, at home or, you know, at a coffee shop when we were allowed to do that. Um, And I'd be at my desk from, you know, about nine to five, but there would be a lot of flexibility there, Um, especially when it comes to talking with sources, especially because of time zones. Uh, If I wanted to talk to an expert or, um, you know, a personal source who's in California, I want to be able to make sure I can talk at a time that's convenient for them. So I try to make sure that I can shift my time if I need to work a little bit in the evening. Uh, Or, you know, for a while I was covering um, takeaways from the Democratic presidential debates uh, for the primary. And so that would require sort of shifting my time so that I could be available uh, and online in the evening. So there's always a little bit of a shift there and it's always sort of a day-to-day balance. Uh, But for the most part, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of, of uh, like seismic shift for me. It's all been smaller adjustments. Um, and I've, you know, I've seen that from a lot of the people that I've been working with too, um, not only fellow reporters, but also people in the PR world. I um, have been so relieved by the number of professionals that I've talked to in recent weeks that have made it super easy to set up three-way calls with people or conference lines and have been really tolerant of my really loud house cats that are really hard to control. Um, I mean, that's honestly the hardest part for me is everyone's like, oh, do you have a baby? And I'm like, no, I have a really loud cat that like doesn't get that I'm on the phone trying to leave people voicemails or do conference calls. Um, so look, if that's my biggest challenge, I don't have much to complain about. Um, but I've also seen that sort of, um, you know, like we're all giving each other a lot of grace right now. So when I've been talking to people in various fields, you know, they're also making adjustments to their own routine too. So, you know, if our call gets cut off or we have to talk at a weird time of day, or if their kid interrupts them during a call, you know, you just go with the flow. Um, and it's really brought like a lot of humanity to those interactions, which reminds me that, you know, sometimes when my inbox is a little overwhelming and I don't know why someone is following up so many times, I just have to remember that they're doing their best with the resources that they have and just like let it roll off. Your mention of the new normal had me thinking. Um, so you mentioned COVID fatigue and I'm wondering with the stories that you're now writing about that aren't necessarily COVID-19 focused, is there still a new type of lens that you're being mindful of under the new normal? Like, are the personal finance pieces that you're now covering cognizant of the fact that the economy might not be so great anymore and people might be struggling right now? For me, definitely. And I think in the wider journalism world, I think you have to be cognizant that we're in a very different economy than we were a month ago, two months ago, and a month from now, the economy is going to be completely different again. Um, And so, my readership, especially looking for, you know, tangible takeaways, is worried about well, what can I do now for my own money right now? And we have a wide range of readers from people who are scrimping and saving to make ends meet to people who are experienced investors who have a little bit more confidence. And so, you know, I'm always trying to meet each of them halfway, each of those groups. And now I'm trying to meet them both halfway with an eye on what's happening in the larger scheme of things. Uh, But when I'm thinking about things that are um, not exactly 
um, I, I, I talk a lot about writing um, coronavirus adjacent content. So, um, you know, I'm going to talk about the basics of personal finance, perhaps, but I'm also maybe going to make note of, I'm also perhaps going to make note of uh, changes in tax deadlines, for instance, and, and try to, you know, keep reminding people over and over of the things that are different and the things that they need to be aware of. But there are some things that are, um, you know, like after COVID stories that are going to keep developing. For instance, uh, credit limits changing. There are a lot of credit card issuers who are pulling back on credit limits, pulling back on applications that they're approving. And that's something that we're going to keep seeing evolve over time. And it's a topic that I'm very interested in personally. And so I'm always thinking about ways to keep that topic fresh. So it's not always going to be, for instance, telling people, hey, you're not going to be able to get approved for a credit card because that's just going to bring them down. But what can I do to provide new information to help them see the landscape of the financial world from from where they're standing and and what they need to know? So even when I'm not directly writing about coronavirus. It's like, I always have that we all, you know, we tag all of our posts for SEO and also for the fact that you can find them easier on our website. And I'm always like, "Mm, should I put that coronavirus tag on this? And more often than not now, I'm resisting that urge to tag it because it is just that new normal that we were talking about. Um, But it is something that it, it is at least discussed among our staff more days than it isn't at this point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm assuming that those are the kinds of stories that you're currently looking for. For sure. I definitely want stuff that's going to be applicable, um, you know, right now, as much as it might be next month. And, you know, one of the challenges that I'm coming up against is that I'm getting pitches from people who, in a normal day, would be great resources, but they're pitching me specifically about how to deal with X, Y, or Z during the coronavirus. And they may not have searched our site well enough to know that I've already covered those topics. So they're, they're asking me if I want to interview their particular professional about some of these basic bullet points when really I'm looking for level 202 stuff instead of those 101 topics. Or I'm looking for that after coronavirus angle or that new normal angle. So I'm really looking beyond those um those like gut reaction pieces or those reactive pieces, and I'm looking more proactively. But I will say that, um, and this was the thing I was going to mention before that I couldn't remember, is that there have been so many PR professionals who have gotten in touch with me, um, maybe about some of those basic topics. And I've been able to turn to them and say, hey, I've already covered that, but I have some questions about this kind of adjacent thing. Do you think your, um, you know, your source would be able to talk to me about this slightly related thing. It's still in the same wheelhouse, but it's not exactly what you pitched me. And for the most part, they've been really helpful, really willing to pivot um, and and done amazing interviews where I feel like we were just able to have a conversation about what's going on without them feeling like they needed to sell me on something or that I needed to buy something. Um, and so there's been a lot of great um, you know, adaptability that I've seen um, in the PR world with the people that I've worked with. That is great. That is directly related to what Frankie was talking about, having an open conversation. And your answer had a lot of good tips. Do you have any final tips for PR professionals about pitching during this time? One thing that I would ask folks to keep in mind is to just recognize that for every three pitches that I have in my inbox, I probably have 
one email from a reader because they're, um, I get so many questions about coronavirus relief checks or other issues with taxes. And so while I'm eventually trying to get to all of the pitches in my inbox, I'm also fielding some of those questions from readers that I, I want to be able to honor as much as I can and take time to answer them when it's applicable too, right? So I'm sort of juggling all of that at once. Um, but, you know, that is to say that if you, you know, even if you don't have a clear angle for um, something that you might, you know, want to pitch, it's definitely worth having a conversation. I may not have time to get on the phone. I've never in my life had time to get on the phone. But, you know, if you email me with, hey, I had a couple thoughts about X, Y, and Z. Do you think this is something you'll be covering or you might want to cover? Um, you know, I, I would welcome more of those emails in my inbox where we can just sort of have a conversation about what's going on and how we're all handling it rather than, you know, everyone feeling like they need to have these long, drawn-out niceties with a full press release every time. I think we're past that point. We're just trying to get by. Yeah, that's really good advice, and I appreciate that. That puts a lot of pressure off of me to, I guess, to have all the answers and be fully buttoned up and present some fancy thing when, in reality, I think, you know, PRs are literally kind of facing the same thing. Well, that was our final question for you, Lisa. But before we go, I do want to say thank you. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, this has been really enjoyable. I can't wait to hear it. Bye, Lisa. Frankie, I have one more question for you. What advice do you have for fellow PRs who may be struggling with pitching at this time? Yeah, so, uh, you know, no man or, or woman is an island. If you find that you, you know, your, your, your pitches are falling flat, first try talking to, you know, your colleagues about arranging something, you know, like a peer review to give your emails and even, you know, subject lines, a second pair of eyes. You might even run into, you know, situations when, you know, input from your, you know, greater team is needed. So maybe something uh, like a postmortem to discuss, you know, any underperforming elements of, of any particular content that you're pitching and see, you know, kind of what lessons can be learned there. And secondly, I'd, I'd suggest designating, you know, at least one day a week uh, to researching, you know, potential contacts and perhaps even start building rapport with them. Uh, you know, if you're, if, uh, though I'm actually, <laughs> I'm remembering, I think it was Miranda Marquette in the previous episode. Um, she talked about some, you know, some PRs that kind of uh, a little pushy or, or aggressive on social media. So <laughs> if, if, uh, if you're connecting with, you know, reporters on social, just be mindful um, not to come across as, as like creepy or, or, or pushy in any way. Um, and then also, you know, if, if your position allows for it, lend some time to, you know, content ideation. Um, with a uh, laser focus on brainstorming, you know, uh, unique ideas that would actually be helpful, you know, to an audience during these times. Because remember now, uh, well, at least for most PRs, um, this isn't really the time to be like selling or promoting a product. And then lastly, uh, try not to get too discouraged uh, if, you know, work isn't going the way, um, you know, that you that you would like or you had hoped. Um, you know, times are... are Times are really hard right now. We're all trying our, our best and you shouldn't beat yourself up over things that really are, you know, out of your immediate control. Oh gosh, that sounds like a, uh, like a, one of those like faux guru types right now. These are, <laughs> That's good <laughs> advice though. These are, uh, uh, I don't know. These are, these are, no, these are by no means like surefire ways to combat your struggles, but hopefully, you know, they're, they're, they're helpful to at least one person. Uh, listening. I think so. And I think that's important to state that you are likely doing better than you think you are, listener, right? <laughs> 
we're we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know. Well, that was a great answer, Frankie. Thank you. Yeah, and, no problem. Uh, I know no that problem. you took a lot of time out of your busy day and even week to prepare for this, so we really appreciate it. This was a pleasure. I had a lot of fun with you guys. Bye. Well, that was the first of a few bonus episodes that we'll be releasing to hopefully help everyone better navigate pitching and working in general during the COVID-19 era. If you have any specific questions you'd like us to ask next time, please do send them our way. You can send them to podcast at weearnmedia or simply send us a tweet. We don't want to make things any more complicated than they need to be, especially right now. In the meantime, be kind to yourself and others. And the next time you find yourself fretting over response rates or other work stuff like that, Like Jackie said, remember that we're in the middle of a pandemic and honestly, you're probably doing better than you think you are. Thank you so much for listening and stay safe.